Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, folks. This week, I'm joined by Cloud Jacobs of Casco, Arkansas. Cloud, aside from having perhaps the coolest name of anybody on the podcast thus far, is, man, a certified rad person. I love this guy. He is an American original. This guy's totally himself. Just a cool kind of strange, fun conglomeration of lots of different interests. Super nice, uh, super generous with his time and his knowledge. He's a teacher by trade and a duck call maker uh, the last few years. And he's kind of had a, you know, a bit of a meteoric rise in that hobby turned, you know, part-time profession. And I'd say he's, he's one of the more interesting and original duck call makers out there uh, working today. So uh, I had a fantastic hang with this guy. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think you will too. So please enjoy this conversation with Cloud Jacobs. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. This week I am back in Brinkley, Arkansas, Back at the old uh, dining room table originally, uh, the boards originally were, kind of, were part of a apple cider vinegar vat, I'm sitting in the old church pews. This is too much of a description, but this week I'm here in East Arkansas joined by Cloud Jacobs of Big Duck Energy, uh, duck call maker, uh, small town educator. Star Wars aficionado. Yeah, that's a hard thing to say, Star Wars. You want to say Star Wars, but it's Star Wars. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so I'm joined by Cloud Jacobs of Casco, Arkansas, uh, a small Delta community. And I guess, when did we come across? I guess a couple of years ago, I just came across you. You had like a small Instagram page that was making, uh, just showing that you were making duck calls. And then that has kind of blossomed into you being a up and comer, a, a new rebel of sorts. Something like that. Uh, in the duck call community, a Jedi, perhaps. <laughs> uh, <laughs> developing friendships with movers and shakers in this space, in this industry. Uh, far beyond your wildest dreams. And... Uh, now, you know, you're, you're a respected duck call maker. Like we said, you're a teacher in Stuttgart, Arkansas, which is known as the duck call or the duck hunting capital of the world. Uh, but I should let you speak cloud. Thank you so much for joining me. For sure. Glad to be here. Uh, so yeah, I think we just became aware of each other, you know, two, three years ago, something like that on social media. And I came and visited you for an article that you are 
anxiously waiting to see. Indeed. Put into fruition. And then I came back, and uh, you were hospitable enough to allow me to turn a duck call uh, using your equipment there in your in your shop, which I want to talk about the shop and, like, where you live and stuff because it's super interesting to me. But, uh, yeah, man, so your name is Cloud Jacobs. Let's start right there. How does a fellow get a name like Cloud? Cloud Jacobs. Um, my parents were not hippies. That's that's the first thing people usually assume. Uh, Cloud was my grandparents' last name. Leo and Inez Cloud. Uh, my grandfather was from uh, right around uh, Huntsville in Alabama. He was from a place called Clouds Cove, Alabama. And he made the move to Arkansas. Um, met my grandmother, got married, had a couple kids. But they started a grocery store called Clouds Grocery. And... When I was born, my mom still wanted me to have that that little piece of cloud, so she made it my middle name. Uh, I swapped over when I was in middle school. Um, my full name's Curtis Cloud Jacobs. Uh, a friend of mine brought it up in class one day. He said, you know, Curtis is a really cool middle name. It's Cloud. And everybody was like, yeah, that is pretty cool. I'll just start going by Cloud then. <laughs> and so ever since then, you've been Cloud. Yeah, man, that's... It's cooler than Curtis, probably, right? More unique, anyway. Indeed. I've got a cousin named Cloud um, that lives in around Washington, D.C., uh, and I had a conversation with her. I said, do people get your name mixed up with other sorts of precipitation? Like, they'll remember that it has something to do with the weather. They'll go, man, is your name Rain? Uh, cumulus? Close. It, it's Cloud. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what's cool? Is her first name Cloud? Uh Yes. Yeah, so it's like an Alex name. It can be boy or girl. Indeed. Uh, perfect for today's change in society. Uh, man, so so look, I was writing this article about uh, people making duck calls in the Delta, and so that's originally why I approached you. Uh, what has kept me coming back, Cloud, is that uh, I love – you know, I just love to find kind of outliers in a in an unexpected place, right? Mm-hmm. So, you live you live on like you know family land, mm-hmm. uh, like still on the property that has Clouds Grocery. Like the building still stands there, right? Mm-hmm. Like an old gas pump out front and stuff. The second building, actually. Oh, so they, yeah, this- the first one <clears throat> they they tore down. My grandparents and uh, my mom and her sister all lived there. Uh, they tore it down eventually and built a new one. Okay, yeah. but I mean, so still long one. ago, right? For sure, for sure. This is kind of like a picturesque. It's like whatever you, whatever people think of when they think of Arkansas, they think they're they're probably thinking. Uh, if they're thinking in positive terms, they're thinking about like where you live, right? Yeah, more than likely. I mean, it's just incredibly picturesque. And then your the the shop that you're making duck calls in is super interesting to me too, because it was like your grandfather's old shop you know, kind of like chicken wire and old sheet metal, right? And then you and your dad have since gone through and insulated it. And uh, it, Man, it's set up really meticulously, too. Like, there's all these old, old, well-used tools, but they're all put in, like, the very specific places. And you even have it, unless you've changed it since I've been there, half of it is kind of like the old space, and then the front half is feels like the new space that you guys inhabit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but, 
you know, by uh, so, so so you're kind of doing something that is steeped in history in a place where that history, you know, is, still maintains a living presence, right? We're talking about a one of the hubs of waterfowling in the world. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how do you say this, man. You know what I mean? But you're not – it's kind of like me, right? You're not what someone – if someone gets to know you, you're not a – just being like a dude from a small town in Arkansas that makes duck calls does not fully encompass you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like we've talked about, you're uh, self-described just recently to me here a few minutes ago, self-described nerd, right? Oh, yeah. Love Star Wars. What's the other thing you were talking about collecting? Man, I collect Funko Pops. Those are like little – are they like Japanese toys? No, they're American. Okay. Uh, Little plastic figures. They look like heads. anime or something. Yeah. Maybe that's why I'm thinking they're from Japan. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's kind of a niche thing. Wouldn't necessarily go along with, uh, you know, just a good old, good old Arkansas <laughs> duck hunter, right? Uh, but it's, it's also been, uh, it's also been kind of like a, a bridge or like a connecting point to, like more well-established people in the community, right? So, like, namely John Stevens. You've been doing some collaborating with him, uh, making duck calls together, mm-hmm. uh, just, like, hanging out and just seeing what you all have in common. Uh, and when I interviewed John Stevens, I mean, at this point, it was eight months ago or something, you know, you got mentioned, right? And he was talking about, man, there's this guy that, you know, a couple years ago, he came to one of the call collecting events that he has there at R&T, mm-hmm. and uh, he was – you could tell he was just interested in what you were doing because you had such a unique perspective and what you were producing. We haven't even gotten into what your duck calls look like, but what you're producing is so, is so particular to you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, if you go look through, uh, there's a book called like call of the wild. It's, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about? It's like kind of like the seminal, uh, Mike Lewis's book. Yeah. It's like a seminal picture based, uh, information-based text of Arkansas-style duck calls. Mm-hmm. And you could flip through there, and you could see references to pretty much anything that anybody's making. And I feel like the stuff you make is an outlier to that, right? So yeah. like, very particular to you and your vision. Uh, so, man, let's let's maybe start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. How do you go from being, uh, you know, just a, a, a quirky Casco fellow to – like immersing yourself in this deep history of craft. Uh, Cause you also like didn't grow up duck hunting, right? I went a few times, uh, you know, waking up really early in the morning and being cold. Just, I don't know. I didn't like it that much. Uh, we shot a few ducks, but I don't know. It just did, never really grabbed me a whole lot. But, um, you know, when I was growing up, I was kind of an indoor kid. You know, I, I played video games a lot. Uh, didn't have a lot of people to play with in the community. I actually loved going to school because that's where I got to see all my buddies throughout the year. You know, Casco, uh, they, there's literally nothing to do. How many people live in that town? Man, I don't even know. Like, it was just a few years ago that we got a sign that said Casco. Like, when you're driving in. <laughs> I mean, so we're talking about probably hundreds of people? Yeah, a couple hundred. Uh, very, very sparsely populated. Uh you know, we're a mile from the White River. We would go down to the river a little bit when I was a kid, go to the sandbar. But um, I don't know. When I was growing up, I I wanted to leave Casco. That was, like, my only thing. Like, I didn't want to be there. At one point, I wanted to 
study filmmaking in like Los Angeles and just like get as far away from Casco as, as humanly possible. Did you feel particularly like ostracized or like persecuted there or just there wasn't enough happening? Man, not really. Um, I'm a pretty laid back guy. Um, I, I got along with everybody in high school. Um, I did have like a core group of friends. You know, we played Pokemon growing up and, and we watched Star Wars and stuff like that. But uh, I didn't really feel a part of the culture. Really, mm-hmm. I, like you said, I kind of felt like an outlier. And I figured my path was somewhere not in Arkansas, eventually. Um, uh, I did a little traveling in 2005. I was a junior in high school. Uh, we traveled to Europe, the UK, France. And and that kind of opened my eyes up a little bit, broadened my worldview. And at that point, I was thinking, man, I'm really going to go to L.A. now. Like, I want to study filmmaking. I'm in the movies. And... I went to, I uh, ended up going to college in Little Rock, UALR. And I realized that I guess I'd lived in the country so long that I just wasn't built for the city. You know, I'm just, mm, yeah. That many people, traffic, just so much stuff going on all the time. It just, I got really anxious when I moved to the city. And you know, a lot of people would, would think of uh, Little Rock as, just peanuts, right? Yeah, and I mean it's not a big city by yeah, any I mean, means. Compared to compared to a couple hundred people. Yeah. And and also you know, I mean you do have people living some people living close together, but like where you grew up, man, like there's room. For sure. Right? Like you can I mean how many acres do you live on? Uh we live on forty acres. Which I mean forty acres is a I mean, that's a subdivision. Oh yeah. Worth of space to, you know, someone living in a more urban community. So yeah, that totally makes sense, man. When I, when I lived in the country for a long time, I moved back to Little Rock a couple of years ago and we had been living out for like 10 years out in the country and man, it's really only been, and I moved to a part of town that's like, you know, it's, it's like still vibrant with, uh, I mean, shit, man, like people drag racing cars and, yeah. uh, I mean, the, the, a few things happen, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's a, it's metropolitan for sure. So it was just like noise wise, it was a lot different, mm-hmm. right? And it does, it kind of piques your anxiety. So anyway, so you come to the big city, come to Little Rock, realize this ain't for me. <clears throat> yeah, I got my degree. Uh, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I didn't want to teach. Like I knew that, uh, which is, you know, I ended up, this is my sixth year teaching fifth grade. But um. yeah, I, I worked in Little Rock for a little while after I got my degree. I worked at Tuesday morning for like six months. I hated it. What's that? Uh, it's like a retail store. Um, it's like if your mom wants to uh, like decorate the patio, like we've got like flower pots and like all kinds of wicker baskets, wicker stuff. baskets, stuff like that. I didn't like it. <clears throat> My dad got me a job at a warehouse, which I didn't know if I was going to be able to hang with those guys, but I actually worked that job for a year. Um, you know, I'd, I'd deliver bleach and toilet paper and stuff like that all over central Arkansas. But a uh, a job came open back in Stuttgart uh, as a paraprofessional in the elementary school library. And Stuttgart is adjacent to Casco. Yes, uh, 15 miles west of Casco. Okay. Uh, both my parents worked in Stuttgart. I mean, it, there's not really a lot of jobs in Casco unless you, you're a farmhand or something like that. But... um. I ended up getting that job, and I, 
uh, man, I fell in love with it. I absolutely loved working in the library, which is a job that never crossed my mind that you could be like, I never thought of becoming a librarian. Right. So I worked there for four years. Um, and when I moved back, I, I was kind of bored to death because you know, there, there's not a lot to do compared to, you know, I had hang, high anxiety in Little Rock, but there was a lot of stuff to do. You could go to the movies, you could go to the comic book shop, you could you could go to the mall, you know, whatever. I was like, man, I'm, there's like nothing to do here. So I started reading a lot, and it was that first year that I moved back, uh, my dad and his buddy were building this enormous duck blind on pontoons. It was nice, man. It had a couch inside of it, so I'd go over to the shop and... I was looking at it and I was like, man, maybe, maybe I ought to give duck hunting another chance, you know? Like, that's that's the thing to do here. Like, people travel all over the world to come here and hunt. And, you know, might as well. So, I got my I had to get my hunter's education card because, like, I didn't have it. So, I did that. I went with them the next season. And, like, it iced up a couple times. Like, the birds would come in. We had really good hunts. And I got really into it. And... I talked my buddy into coming with me. We all work at the school. They're uh, all the maintenance guys. We've been friends for 15 or 20 years. And he started coming with me that next season. And then the third season, my other buddy started coming with me. He was like, man, what, what are y'all doing? Like that early in the morning. Like I've got to come check it out too. So we all three got really into it. Uh, I started reading everything about duck calls and like how to put your spreads out and watching YouTube videos and uh, it was a few years after that. I think we started making calls in 2019. Um, but I got into the collecting first, talked to dad. And I was like, man, we got to make some duck calls, you know, like we're hunting all the time. And and then here we are today. I uh, got a case full of duck calls on the on the Black Duck Revival table. <laughs> man, let's. so you brought them up several times, but so your dad, mm-hmm. Donnie, yeah. right? Uh, what does he do for a living or is he, is he retired now? He's retired. Um, he was a maintenance man at the school for a long time. His last couple of years, um, he was maintenance director, but he's got a, he's got like a boiler license, HVAC license. Uh, I mean, he does everything. The entire time that we've had our house in Casco, uh, we built it when I was, you know, just a kid. I think he told me the other day we've had two servicemen out there the entire time we've had the house. And he actually told them what was wrong because they couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah, it probably bothered the hell out of them <laughs> if they were there. Uh, yeah, man. And he's, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because you guys look very, very similar, right? Like you can mm-hmm. tell that you're dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, he kind of has the look of a dude. He looks like a guy that you would expect to be from that area, man. Like, you can tell he's worked with his hands. For sure. Right? Like, he looks like a – I mean, he just looks like a tough dude. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want to fight him. Yeah, right? And he's <laughs> uh, – yeah, I probably wouldn't either, man. I mean, he's like – I mean, simultaneously comes across very kind, but, yeah, could just, like, crush walnuts in his hand, right? For sure. Uh and it's one, you know, that little juxtaposition is super cool too because you guys are in in this family, this space shared by family historically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you you both have space there at the at the workbenches, right? Like he mm-hmm. makes duck calls, you make duck calls. 
very, very distinct styles from each other, right? He's oh, yeah. making something that is uh, – he's making something that I think is probably tied a lot more to the tradition of the place, right? Mm-hmm. He focuses a lot on checkering, which oh, is yeah. uh, which is something that makes calls look beautiful, uh, but but it's also like a very tedious, especially the way he's doing it. There's like quicker ways to do it than he does it, mm-hmm. and he does it kind of like an, an older – style and it's uh it's man it's just a cool juxtaposition and then that you guys like you've got this uh newer style call you've made here uh, this donut call that we'll talk about in a little bit but it's got his checkering on it right mm-hmm. uh that's a cool thing man like to be able to work with your dad uh and it's it's also like it's something separate from how you make your primary living right so mm-hmm. like all of those kind of like working with your dad in a business pragmatic concerns aren't there it's just like you having a good time hanging out with your dad yeah uh it's a super neat thing man i keyed into it right away uh what so you guys you just get hooked on waterfowling right you're an adult you're working at the school you know eventually you become a teacher uh but how does like let's make a couple duck calls turn into this i mean because at this point you've got i mean thousands of hours on a lathe, you think? Oh yeah, probably so. <clears throat> I think I've, I think I'm up to about 200 calls. Uh, you know, I keep track. Mm-hmm. I've got my little book. I like to keep up with where every call goes and everything. But um, man, yeah, we we just started out. We were thinking, like, let's make some calls. We collect calls, and was your your dad was doing that already? Yeah, he actually um he never collected anything. He's just like work all the time. Like that's that's all he knows. But uh when he retired, we had a uh we had a Folgers coffee can full of old duck calls cuz he guided on the White River for I don't know like 25 years, something like that. And which would that would be like a common way for for, you know, uh specifically men in this region of the country to it seems like everybody's dad or uncle or grandpa or brother Southern spent five to 10 years guiding. Oh yeah. Uh, and especially when he was doing it, you could guide on public land. Mm-hmm. So it was the, the land wasn't as much of a limiting factor as it is now. For sure. Uh, and so just like a regular blue collar working guy could go out, bust his ass during duck season, guiding all these folks that came from someplace else mm-hmm. and maybe make in two and a half months, maybe make what he made the whole rest of the year. Right? Yeah. Supplement your income a little sure. bit. Sure. For sure. Uh, but, yeah, he, he got this coffee can out. He started looking through them. Uh, he had a Wheaties. He had a Clyde Hancock. He had a couple of Butch's calls, just stuff that people had given him over the years. He put them in a coffee can because he always hunted the same two calls. He hunted two Alvin Taylor calls, which, good Lord, like, I'm surprised he didn't lose them in the river bottoms. Sure. It was uh, one of the first acrylics Alvin Taylor ever made and then another one that was painted by Jenny Mafus. But – he got these coffee cans and he, he got on eBay because he was, you know, he had a little bit of free time after he retired and he'd get online and, and he started looking some of them up. He was like, Oh my gosh, these are, these are worth quite a bit of money. Like, Oh my God. And so he started collecting calls at that point. And I, I liked calls. I didn't really collect them. I wasn't super into them when he got into them, but, um, he started amassing a pretty good sized collection of calls. And, uh, at one point, we're just like, man, we we ought to make we ought to make some calls. And it was really me that wanted to make the calls, because uh, he told me several times, like, man, you know, everybody and their mama's making duck calls. It's like, mm-hmm. 
but they're not making our duck calls. You know, we, how hard could it be? If everybody's doing it, let's buy a cheap lathe. Let's get some cheap tools, some cheap blanks. If we like it, we'll stick with it. If we don't, you know, we'll make a couple duck calls. I'll have a call that I can hunt. You'll have a call that you can hunt. Like, that'd be pretty neat, you know? And uh, I don't know, man. Somewhere along the line, it just kind of spiraled out of control. And and here we are four years later. And uh, I think we did three shows last year. Uh, we did Real Foot in Tennessee. We did Wings Over the Prairie. And then we, we just did Calapalooza. And um, we, we've we done pretty well this year. Uh, you know, I do the funky stuff. Uh mostly younger guys buy my stuff uh some of the older guys come up and they look at mine and i mean they'll tell you they're like this isn't really for me so okay we'll look over here this case is my dad's calls and they're all checkered and they look like traditional duck calls mm -hmm. so we've got a little something for everybody uh so this is a good segue let's uh this is this was like kind of the first design right yep so this is the pot belly. That's the pot belly. Uh, maybe if you could like describe. So look, everyone who listens to this podcast is not a duck hunter. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they're not all familiar with the way duck calls work. So why don't you just try and describe this call, like what it looks like if just someone was walking down, saw this in a window. Okay. Like what would that look like? Man, I've, I've had quite a few people tell me it looks like a little bong actually, <laughs> but it's got a small mouthpiece on the bottom. Um, Dude, it does kind of look like that. <laughs> now <that> you say that. <laughs> it, it wasn't the intention, but... Uh, so it's rounded at the bottom. Um, it goes up just a little bit straighter. And then at the top, they I, I put what you call a silver dollar collar, which is um, just a little bit wider piece of wood. So when the insert goes down into it, it doesn't break. That's why a lot of people put um, brass bands on mm -hmm. the top of their duck calls. But So you're just reinforcing that with extra material yes as opposed to putting like a restricting band or wrapping it with cord or something yeah and and it, it's kind of strange because i have these weird designs but i wanted to keep it as old school as possible um because some of the older guys like 100 years ago those are some of my favorite shapes and they didn't have brass bands and they just started doing that in the 40s or the 50s mm -hmm. uh, with the brass band so it's just i mean it's two pieces of wood it's nice and simple, which I like, but um, yeah, it's kind of a strange shape. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, and it makes sense that you call it a pot belly because you know that would it does kind of have the look of like a pot belly stove. Like if you took yeah. the legs off a pot belly stove, that's kind of the shape that we're talking about. And then that that has turned into so you've got this donut shape, which is short and stout. You know, it looks like a. I mean, this is a, I don't know, what would you say? It looks like a, like Humpty Dumpty or something almost, right? It's a chunky little call. Yeah, I mean, it's bulbous. <laughs> I mean, kind of size and shape of a incandescent light bulb, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you got this ray gun one, which is super wild. Uh, looks like a bunch of, it's like a bunch of Oreo cookies stacked up on top of each other or something, <laughs> right? Uh, but it has that kind of, I mean, we're talking like Ray Gun, like Flash Gordon, time yeah. period inspired kind of look. Uh, and then you've got this, you know, this is, man, this is the one that's like supposed to be uh, like a flying saucer mm -hmm. abducting. Is, this, is it abduction? Is that the name of the call? abduction, yeah. Right? So that collar that you were describing, you've made this like in the shape of a 
you know, old school traditional flying saucer. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the barrel kind of flares out and it almost looks like, you know, throwing like a tractor beam or something. Uh, That's it, man. <laughs> like what, what's that, uh, what's that Spielberg movie? Uh, close the, Encounters? Yeah, Close Encounters. Yeah. Of the What kind? What number kind? Third oh, kind? Lord, third kind, maybe. Something like that. But it looks like that kind of an image, right? Uh, which, man, it's, so if you look at these four calls right here, right? The fact that you're making calls in you know in a very traditional way, mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk about how you make your tone boards because even though it seems non-traditional, it's probably like more more akin to the way people were making tone boards a hundred years ago than kind of the regimented way they do it now. Yeah, but these are all like very distinct shapes, and you've even told me that like you base the pot belly like off of yourself, right? Yeah, you know, I've always been a little bit a little bit heavier guy and um <clears throat> when i was actually coming up with it most calls at the top of the call it's thicker there's more material so it's not going to split as easy mm-hmm. and it tapers down skinnier so kind of one of my first thoughts for the pot belly was what if i took all that material from the top and put it at the bottom like what would that look like and i went through yeah, this was when I first started making calls and I was just playing around. Like I wasn't trying to fill orders and get ready for shows and everything. I was playing around. I made probably 10 different shapes just back and forth until I finally kind of settled on one that slightly looked like the pot belly. It was a little bit skinnier. Um, it didn't have as big a collar, but I looked at it and I really liked it. I said, I'm going to try to refine this over time. And, and this is what I've got. Man, it's they're so distinct, especially now that you've got this. Because like the first time we hung out, you didn't have this many calls, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at this now, and I'm like, man, this these look like Cloud Jacob calls, right? They all have a relationship to the other one, uh, and it's kind of like building on one aspect. You know, that kind of becomes emphasized, and then the next one it has that reference. Uh, I'll tell you what else, really, man. I feel like some pretentious. Uh, you know, art dealer here, but <laughs> I'm actually struck by, especially with this ray gun one, if I can, if I can sound so silly with this, but I mean, there seems like there's joy in that. And I'll tell you why. Because if anybody has been on a lathe, like the first thing that anybody would do on a lathe is, you know, they, they, you've got that, uh, say you just have like a big fat dowel spinning, right? Mm-hmm. And you slide in there with the tip of that, tool and you see that you know it's it's almost like using a spirograph when you're a kid right mm-hmm. you make you touch one point but then it creates this big circle or something right mm-hmm. the first thing anybody's going to do is do that and then move down a little bit and do it again and do it again oh yeah and you end up with this like stack of dimes looking thing right mm-hmm. and there's a lot of that in some of these calls right uh and i've seen people do it and it looks haphazard this is this is done in a way where I understand like kind of where that shape comes from. Mm-hmm. It's just like a normal human inclination using that tool yeah. or those tools. But uh, there is something really meticulous about you. And, you know, you like you put calipers on your calls when you're making them and you, you have notes and you're like, you're, you know, there's, I don't, I don't know that's nerdy as a term, but it's just like meticulous. Right. Yeah. And it shows in this, uh, 
That's supposed to be a compliment too, man, because I, I think it's just like I'm looking at that ray gun one and I'm like, dude, how did he pull that off? And it's weird to me too because I don't know that I've ever really recognized these things in visual art. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of more of a word guy, but man, dude, they like those look like the person that is making them is enjoying what they're doing. So uh, I've got to give John Stevens props for the ray gun. He did he did a ray gun first. Okay. Okay. So for Kalapalooza, um, he sent me a couple of sketches that he did. His sketches are amazing. My sketches are awful. Like yeah, I'm almost his, embarrassed to send him my his sketches. sketchbook. <laughs> is you know that's that's okay. So that's another thing you have in common with John. Uh, he's got like I got to be in his his shop and like kind of you know spy around and look at stuff. And, you know, he comes from this, like, he went to school for uh, landscape design, mm-hmm. right? He's kind of got that architecture draw thing. I mean, that's just in the substance of who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every single one of his sketches in his notes, notebook looks like a patent drawing. Yeah, it does. And his his handwriting is is really neat and tidy and, you know, looks like he's writing on graph paper for everything, mm-hmm. even when he's freehanding it. So, yeah, uh, his sketches are are super cool. So yeah, like he um he sent me these three sketches and they were based on his shapes, but there was kind of a little flair, like they were kind of wild, kind of wild looking. He was like, "Man, I, I don't I don't know. Like what what do you think of these?" I said, "Dude, I love them." I and you had just gotten to know, you had just gotten to know him through like going up there doing the uh the call shows and mm-hmm. just so over the couple of years and he's seeing you go from like not knowing what you're doing and making something that he's like, Hey man, that's kind of cool looking. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, he sent me these three sketches. I loved them. He's like, I, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm going to do it. I was like, dude, you need to, you need to make these. Like people are going to love them. Like these are awesome. And my favorite one that he did was a ray gun. So he took the shape of the weirdo and put the little ribs on the weirdo. And a weird weirdo is one of his calls. Yes. It's one of his shapes. Um, he had a kind of a round part, and the top of his call kind of flared, kind of like a saucer almost. So I saw that. I was like, man, this is awesome, right? Uh, so me and my girlfriend, right after Call of Blues, we went to Disney World for a couple, for a week. We came back, and I was just, I didn't really want to just turn pot bellies and stuff. I had this this ray gun idea in my mind. I was like, man, I need to make a response to, like, John's ray gun, right? And uh, and this is what I came up with, and I've this is actually a number two. I've only made three of these. Um, I kept the first one. Um, I'm sending this one to a buddy in Louisiana that sends us a bunch of calls, and um, I swapped John for a for another ray gun. Uh, he he made me one out of Red Heart, and I swapped him a uh, an African Blackwood ray gun. And then you guys did a a collaborative call, or you did two collaborative calls at. Uh, Call of Palooza, which is like this big uh, event at the end of spring, beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hold it there at R&T Calls, and it's like several days of uh, like all these call collectors and call makers and collect, or I say collectors already, you know, just folks that like duck calls, they come. Uh, there's a bunch of other events too. It's kind of like a fair type atmosphere or something, I guess. But, yeah, they uh, did it up this year. They had a duck blind cook-off. Yeah. Um, they have they invited different call makers from across the country to like compete against one another uh, with their calls. Uh, the governor was there. He unveiled like the new duck stamp for this year. Um, 
it's just it's getting bigger every year. And this year I was I was lucky to be a part of it. We had a booth set up and So you and your dad were selling your calls, but uh what were the two calls you and John did together? Uh we we came up with an idea called Arcopocalypse. <clears throat> Arco for Arkansas County. We're both Arkansas County boys and uh he really liked the shape of the abduction. He was like, Man, we ought to we ought to do something, you know, kinda weird that you know, he could do the insert, I could do the barrel, he could wrap it, and we ended up, it was a, kind of an abduction shape. The bottom was cut down around the mouthpiece so John could wrap it. Yeah, it's, that's his big thing on his calls. He wraps all of his calls. Um, and you're, just so people understand, we're talking about reinforcing that collar, like where the insert goes into the barrel, and so he wraps it with like brightly colored cord to kind yeah. of hold that together. Yeah, um, so he wrapped it. Um, cut the lines in it. He actually ended up having to paint them because I was at Star Wars Celebration uh, the week before Callapalooza. He said, man, you think you could paint these when you get back? I said, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time because you got to let the paint dry. You've got to do multiple coats. So he ended up actually painting and, and he popped an insert in. We did a a full call, which was a little bit taller than my original size barrel. Um, and we ended up doing a mini and it sold and just crazy to think about, man, like from four years ago, you know, using hand tools the first time that we ever turned a call to like, man, me and John like collabed and, and people liked it. Just, I don't know. Yeah. There's a mind blowing. There's a ton of public validation for it. For sure. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a come up dude. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about, so look, on one hand, if you're listening to this, like there is a level of, you know, just people that like duck calls kind of nerding out about it a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think some of these, some of the particulars about how you put this together is really indicative of what the podcast is about in a broader sense, right? Which is like people finding their own way, going their own route. Uh, I'll have uh, corresponding pictures, like I put pictures of all your calls and stuff up with this uh, episode on Instagram so that folks can have a visual representation of this. Because I think if you look, even if you had nothing to do with duck calls, you could look at these and realize that there's, I mean, these are very intentional shapes, right? Mm-hmm. But so the, the barrel is, I mean, the barrel could look just like a straight piece of pipe or something, right? Mm-hmm. And essentially, uh, perform the same function yeah the the soul of a duck call right where the music is made where the sound is formed is in the insert right Mm -hmm. and that's something that is very specific to every duck call maker right it's like uh normally the way that goes is you get a flat jig right so without going into too much detail you get a jig that just allows you to make uh an insert the same size Uh, the same basic size every time. So it'll fit into that barrel, but then you like drill a hole in it, the depth of the hole, the size of the hole, that all makes a difference in the sound, the length of the tone board, and then really specifically the curve that's put on there. Right. Mm -hmm. So what most people do is they fiddle with that until they get a shape that they like. They send that off to a jig making company who then makes a jig, which is just a tool so that they can basically exactly replicate that insert every time, mm-hmm. right? So that that is the standardization 
in uh, the making of you know what what I consider to be an instrument, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have that standardization in the way that you make your inserts, mm-hmm. uh, and you know each one of your calls sounds a little bit different, right? Even mm-hmm. the two, if you have two pot bellies next to each other, they're each going to sound a little bit different. I think for a lot of folks that would be a negative, right? Because their goal would be uh, something that's able to be as exactly replicated as possible. Mm-hmm. I think it speaks to your entire artistic process that that is not the focus of what you're doing. And that is now, is it that you want them to all sound a little different or that you're just okay with it? Or how does your, what's your mindset going into that? Cause that's very, very different than, I mean, I don't describe how you make an insert first of all, because anyone who knows about making duck calls is going to be like, Oh, <laughs> uh, and then, I mean, do you know anybody else who's doing it that way? I do not. I do not. Um, so I, uh, the, the part that goes in the duck call, you have to turn it down to five eighths. So it fits in the barrel. And from that point, I put it in my flat jig, do a couple measurements, put it in my flat jig and I cut the top part off. So it's just flat and there's a little notch for, um, your reed and your cork. And so at this point, instead of putting it in a, or cutting it in a custom jig where when you cut it on the bandsaw, you've already got your kind of curve, everything's pretty close, maybe a little filing, and it'll be the, hopefully it'll be the same sound. Um, I actually use a belt sander. And so the first step is to- Like an upside down mounted belt sander. Yeah, an upside down belt sander. Um, I get eye level with it. First thing I've got to do is make sure the length is correct. So I, I hold it down, make sure the length's correct. That's pretty easy. Uh, the very tip of my tone board is three millimeters. So I've, I've got a caliper, three millimeters, and then I just kind of eyeball it. I hold my finger right in the center. I try to apply even pressure. It doesn't always work. So... I put, I put the end in, I look at it several times. I make sure that everything's pretty even. Um, I use the belt sander to put the curve in, uh, most of the curve. When I get close, I take it off the belt sander because the belt sander will get away from you really quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's something, this is a super delicate process and you're using as aggressive a means of getting there as I've ever heard of. Yeah. Most people, I mean, <laughs> you know, folks are taking a, a bastard file and like one swipe at a time to do this. And yeah, you're. Yeah. So I, I get it close and I have ruined several, um, knock on wood. I haven't ruined one lately, but you get close because you can't put back on, you know, after you take it off, I get close. I've got a big bastard file, an old one. That's probably not, it's not as sharp as it used to be, which is good because then I can I can go the rest of the way with the file, kind of eyeball it. Once I think I'm getting close, put the read in, see what it sounds like. Based on whatever it's doing, I know on the tone board where I need to file. So if you blow it and you can't get a good feed, you've got to start taking it down back here because your reed doesn't have enough room to flop around. Um, sometimes if you blow it and it's kind of flat on the high end, that's because you need to take some of this material off or your tone board's a little bit too long. 
And man, I've learned all of that just through feel, basically. Um, like I can kind of feel when I'm getting close, look at it. Okay, yeah, I think I'm getting close. Sometimes it might take me 30 minutes to tune one. Sometimes as soon as I get done filing, I can drop the reed and the cork in and it's absolutely perfect. And I don't know, man, it's, it, it's all feel. It's all, that's how I've done it since I started making them uh, four years ago. And, you know, a custom jig's kind of expensive too. So I was like, man, if this is working for me, like I'll just keep doing it. No, that oh, that's, that's malarkey, man. I mean, you're talking <laughs> about something that's a couple $300. It's not that, uh, that's not what's stopping you from doing it. I mean, there's, I mean, do you feel like there's some alchemy in it? Like there's, you kind of want there to be a little bit of magic each time and, yeah, and <clears throat> I don't know, man. It feels good. It feels good doing it that way when people look at you like you're crazy and, you know, you're tuning them on a flat jig. You're tuning everyone on a flat jig. And, you know, I get that. I get a little bit of play in there, too. I get a little bit of range mm -hmm. in my calls. They all fall within certain parameters. They're not exact. So I've had people at shows, they'll, they'll blow one and, Oh, well, that, that one's a little too tight. They'll blow the next one. Oh, this is absolutely perfect. And so they'll they'll pick that call up as opposed to the other one, whereas if they all sounded the same, they might go buy somebody else's call, I guess. <laughs> Dude, you know what it really – oh, man. You know what it really made me just think of, man, is uh, – if we're going to reference nerdy, quote-unquote stuff, man, is uh, like in Harry Potter, like – those wizards getting their wands. <laughs> like everyone is, it's like there's one that's made for you, right? Yeah. Uh, man, no, there's something, there's something incredibly cool about doing it that way. Uh, you know, it also makes them, makes each one a little bit kind of extra special because mm -hmm. even though there is this attraction of like, you know, a lot of folks are attracted to the idea of it being handmade, of it being made from wood as opposed to like a synthetic material, like mm -hmm. steeped in all that kind of history. There's a there's a whole nother level to it as well, uh, which is that, man, you like you cannot produce calls quickly. Mm -mm. Even so, like when I came and I turned that call at your place. Uh, you were telling me you were telling me like how long it took you to make took you to make a call right mm -hmm. and it didn't take me that long to make a call <clears throat> a lot of that has to do with our personalities you know what i mean yeah uh, uh some of it was too like me being familiar with tools enough that like okay this makes sense this makes sense this makes sense right but like when you were telling me the way that you sand your calls the step down and grits that you sand your calls mm -hmm. uh for me, it would be superfluous, right? It'd be too much. I, I just, I couldn't do that. Yeah. But that's a personality thing, man. It goes back to how meticulous you are, right? I mean, you step down, step down, you're wet sanding, you're stepping down, you're stepping down. Mm -hmm. You have these little tiny strips. You're getting into these grooves. I mean, it's, it's something to watch. Uh, man, and it's, I don't know why. I mean, I, I know in some ways why I'm so attracted to duck calls, right? But. Just seeing, I, I feel like this is just a, this is me just like professing that I have like a crush or something on the way that you make duck calls. <laughs> but man, I just like that 
I like so much that you're so willing to be yourself in every aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got a call that's based on a alien abduction, right? Mm-hmm. You have a ray gun call. Uh, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't, you, know, you, you couldn't paint a call because you were at a Star Wars convention, mm-hmm. essentially, right? How is this idea of science fiction all right. Like, how is that impacting? I mean, it's obviously playing a, like a important role in your life. Uh, I'm well. Then, wait. We didn't even talk about the fact that you've like written, published books and stuff too. Uh, I told. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> uh, but so visually, you're inspired by this stuff, right? For sure. I think thought process wise, you're inspired by this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think you could speak to that some? Like, how is how is Star Wars or uh, these other influences? How is it? How is it coming out like in your your daily life and the work that you're doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, the abduction is. This is my Star Wars call, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I, I like to take things that influence me, which is a lot of pop culture. Star Wars, I read a lot, uh, fiction mostly. And what kind of, what are you like, what's some standout stuff that you've read? Um, I read a book called, uh, Persephone station not too long ago. Um, really heavy on like the AI and AI, uh, taking control of like actual people and the universe and they could talk with each other across, um, different planets uh, I read a lot of Stephen King too, um, in addition to Star Wars books and stuff like that. But um, yeah, man, I I wanted to make sure when I first started making calls, I, I I knew I wanted to do something that was unique, because if you don't know duck calls, a lot of duck calls all look the same. Mm-hmm. If you do know duck calls, you start picking up on those subtle differences, like oh you know, this is Alvin Taylor duck call, or this is a Mark Weedman duck call. But uh, I wanted my calls to kind of be, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? I wanted to represent my personality. And growing up in Stuttgart, being in all this kind of like weird stuff for the area, I guess, um, you know, that that had a, um, Lord have mercy, that had a, a definite. Did you just I'm get? Did you dead. just get comfortable? <laughs> did you get comfortable being a weirdo? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did, I did, and like when I first started making calls, especially the pot belly, man, I was making it, and like I knew I liked it, like I was my target audience for the pot belly, and I started making them, and it's like, man, I, I don't know, man, like. I like making them. I think they're cool. I don't think anybody else thinks they're cool. But I, I'm going to keep doing it because I like to do it. Which is, um, that kind of reminds me of uh, Mark Weedman, the Wheaties calls from back in the 70s, 80s. It, they were d- the, describe that for folks. Okay. So Mark Weedman was one of the first people to make an acrylic call. And he made wood calls before that, but... He got these these cut off scrap pieces from a place in Little Rock that were multicolored, laminated all together. 
he'd glue them together and he would turn these calls and they were. And you're talking about stuff just so folks understand it. So imagine we're talking about acrylic. So some of this is opaque. Some of this is like somewhat transparent, right? Mm -hmm. But just think of big, bright primary colors, yellow, green, orange, red, white, black. Like I know some of those aren't primary colors, but, uh, it's like a box of crayons, and they would stack them up like plywood. So you'd have mm -hmm. all these different layers. You know, it, it would look like a, like a carnival or something. They're like a lollipop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then he's – so instead of having a, a solid, continuous piece of, you know, a hedge or something or African blackwood, he's got this stacked up, multicolored – looks like a bunch of Jolly Ranchers stacked up mm -hmm. on top of each other. Insane. And nobody wanted them. Like when he was making them. Really? Uh, you know, no hunters wanted to take those calls into sure, the field sure. because, number one, they're colorful. Like, ducks have really good eyesight. Mm -hmm. And number two, I guess, you know, even if somebody did really like them, they didn't want their buddies making fun of them. Like, what kind of call is that, you know? But that that's that's why I kind of kept going with, with my shapes because, you know, Mark Weedman loved to make those and nobody liked them but he kept doing it. And that's where I drew some of my inspiration from. And nowadays, I mean, Wheaties are going for like five or $600. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody wants a Wheaties, but back then nobody really liked them. Nobody thought they were cool. And he was just, he was kind of a man before his time in the duck call world. Man, there's a, there's a shit ton of confidence involved in going about it that way. Like making art. I mean, you're talking about, making art for art's sake, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you're talking about making art as a visual representation of you. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, have, you, have you heard the idea that the more personal you make art, the more universal it becomes? Mm -hmm. it, that's very much what I, I see happening here, right? Uh, now, what helps is that then you get this kind of like big push of validation, right? Like mm -hmm. you get this guy who's very well known in the community that likes your stuff. Uh, and then other people, it, it almost gives other people permission to like it, mm -hmm. right? So there's some of that maybe going on, but also like what is John Keen into on this, right? Like yeah. he's, there's something in him that's, you know, he's identifying with feeling like an outlier in some part of his life, right? Like liking star Wars, but being in this like really deep hunting kind of traditionalist community or something, perhaps, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm throwing my imagination onto this. Right. Uh, and the fact that that, that kind of human connection can be made, you know, with a spun piece of wood. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's some like very, basic ingrained human stuff right like mm -hmm. that's that's shakespeare right <laughs> i mean i mean honestly uh i mean why are we still reading and consuming shakespeare yeah right because it was indicative of the human condition mm -hmm. that does not change no matter what else does like yeah. we still have all these feelings right uh heavy stuff for duck calls man but i, I think it applies <laughs> it's it's honestly i've talked to lots of artists and artisans and makers and people who create and your approach to doing this is one of the more purely artistic uh approaches i've come across and it, it really it makes me think of that i mean this is kind of a cliched quote in the 
when discussing art, but you know, that idea that like art is supposed to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I feel like I've lived a lot of my life believing that. Uh, and yeah, that that's even, that's something that can be imparted into something as niche and traditional as making duck calls. Yeah. Uh, I'm also, it's why, let me ask you this. Cause you're talking about, <clears throat> You're talking about being inspired by these kind of scientific or science fiction, you know, futuristic, <clears throat> excuse me, ideas. Uh, you know, you just referenced AI, right? Mm-hmm. Artificial intelligence, all this stuff. But you're sp- intentionally and specifically making calls out of what some people would consider to be like a, a rudimentary material, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is more consistency in an acrylic call. There's better sound projection. Mm-hmm. It's a harder material. For There's sure. more resonance, right? You're using, like, this call right here has, you turn the call and you find this imperfection in the wood mm-hmm. that then uh, gets stabilized and kind of becomes part of the character of it. So what's with the juxtaposition of this kind of futuristic outlook and then this looking back? Man, like, I, w- I wanted to keep it as old school as possible. Um, I don't put bands on my calls. And I, I just recently started doing the O-rings. Uh, so O-ring on an insert, when you pop it in the barrel, it kind of locks in place. You're not losing any air. Uh, all of the old school guys did a friction fit. So when they when they turn it down, there's a, a slight upslope that kind of locks into the barrel that way. Um. I don't know that I thought as much about the juxtaposition when I started, but I wanted to, I wanted to keep it simple. I wanted to keep it really simple. And like, I I tried turning a little bit of acrylic at first and it's really brittle when you're turning it. You got to be very easy with it. Wood, you can, um, well, number one, when you cut down a block of wood, there's always kind of a surprise inside. Right, you never know what it's going to look like. Every piece of wood is going to be different. You're talking about the grain, there could be wormholes. The grain, the wormholes, uh, everything. With acrylic, it's just, to me, it just feels so sterile. You know? Um, not to say that I won't ever turn a little bit of acrylic. I've got a, an insert I'm actually working on now. But um, I don't know, man. Uh, the wood just has a lot more character. Um, I really like that. It's a natural material. You know, ideally, you're taking these into a natural setting. You're doing something that people have done for, I mean, I don't know if the Native Americans used duck calls or not. but uh, I mean, they were using reeds for sure. But, I mean, doing it this way, hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, so, it does have that connection to the past in that way. Just keeping it as simple as possible. But... I don't know, man. My twist on it, I just wanted to I just wanted to really do something different with it. I wanted my duck calls to look very unique. I wanted them to be kind of my signature. When somebody sees a pot belly, you know, if they know calls, they'll, they'll know that that's one of my calls. There, there's no real um, – you can't get them confused with other people's calls, really. Do you, do you feel like either – 
consciously or subconsciously you have a uh, a pronounced sense of like legacy like you want to leave something to this and you know 50 years from now you want people to be like man that's a cloud jacobs call oh dude yeah uh i'm a, I'm a social studies teacher i majored in history so yeah that's definitely a part of it um i do i do imagine sometimes when i'm at the lathe you know you're sanding when you're doing something kind of mindless that you don't really have to think about your mind wanders a little bit and uh you know i'm thinking you know maybe in a hundred years you know maybe some of my calls will still be around maybe they'll be maybe they'll be treasured like we kind of treasure the guys calls from 50 100 years ago so that definitely is a little part of it the legacy i mean honestly dude i think undoubtedly uh i've i'm actually interested to see when i start seeing uh when i start seeing calls that are inspired by your stuff I mean, because it, it's they're so distinct that they'll catch people's eye. Yeah, uh, and someone will start doing stuff that you know is either they realize it, they know that it's informed by that, or they don't know. But that, or maybe it'll just give someone permission to, zzz, zzz, you know, put a bunch of lines in it and, and do something, put some cool ribs in it. Or yeah, something. just go crazy with it. Have fun, man. If it wasn't fun, I wouldn't do it. You know. This is kind of like therapy almost for me. Like yesterday, I spent all day long in the shop. That's that's one of my ideas of a perfect day. I woke up early. I made a sandwich at the house. I carried it across the yard. I listened to an audio book. No, actually, I listened to, um, have you heard of Willie Carlisle? No. I haven't. Okay, he's kind of like a honky-tonk, uh, kind of a newer guy. But I listened to his album, kind of got in the mood, got for the feel of it. Finished up a lot of the calls that are in the case. Um, I didn't start anything new yesterday, but spent most of the day in the shop, listening to an audiobook, had my sandwich for lunch so I didn't have to go back to the house. And what are you drinking the whole time? Uh, coffee in the morning. We got, we've got a fridge over there. You know, we've got a little window unit. We've got a fridge. We've got it hooked up. Mm-hmm. We don't have a bathroom, but um, that's what a yard's for, man. We do. Uh, I brought a Mountain Dew with me. You know, I'm country. I love Mountain Dew. I can't help it. Uh, and, and lots of water. Lots of water. Uh, you drinking black coffee? Put a little half and half in it. Do you really? Man. I, I still like to taste the coffee. Now, this stuff, you can drink it without creamer, but I don't know. I would have pegged you as a, as a black coffee guy. Uh, you know, So, you know, you're a dude. You look very uh, trimmed up now, but... Like when we were hunting, you had that handlebar mustache, and then you reach in the front pocket of your waders and you pull out this kind of intricately, it was like a little bone comb or something, or wooden little comb. wooden comb. Yeah, uh, <laughs> dude, he combs his mustache and kind of sweeps the ends up with his finger and curls it. And I said, dude, I've never seen anybody pull a mustache <laughs> comb out of their waders, and, and that was like a cold, miserable, like getting rained on hunt, wasn't it? No, it wasn't raining that day. I think it rained on y'all the day before. Okay. Well, maybe we were laying some soup or something. I remember hunting that field, and it was just miserable. But, yeah, maybe it was the one before. Uh, man, it's – I keep thinking about these juxtapositions with how this is going together, man, because I think even though you're uh, you know, a self-proclaimed Star Wars guy and you're, like, consuming all this uh, forward-looking stuff – 
you know, like Little Rock was too happening for you. You had to get back to Casco, <laughs> right? Uh, your, you know, you just feel compelled to make these calls out of wood, right? Mm-hmm. You're in this, you're living on a family property. You're like making calls in the, there with your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you and your dad talk about when you're in there making calls together? Um, you know, well, if I ever have a problem, because, you know, I never messed with tools ever. Yeah, I mean, you were like very decidedly, like you said, an indoor kid. You played video games. You yeah. weren't, you weren't out, I mean, you weren't working with your dad and Mm-mm. building stuff. And Not fixing at all. Stuff. Like, I went to the shop when I was a kid, but it was like I'd grab tools like off the bench and like play with them outside and lose them. My grandpa would like get pissed off at yeah, me. Yeah, sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so usually it's like he lets me know what he's up to. He, he's, he's, uh, working on, the duck club down the road he's you know wiring and all kinds of stuff uh i'll ask him uh did you see that carved call on call nuts and i'll pull it up we'll look at calls but um if i have a problem that i can't figure out on my own the first thing when he walks through the door I go dad i got a problem uh do you mean making a call or just like in life just like t- not in life but uh just like tool wise like uh you know this thing got stuck i have no idea how to unstick it and he, he's been around this stuff his whole life, so he'll go, oh, we've got to do this. And it's like, clank, clank, clank. Ten seconds later, it's like fixed. Like, I would have never thought of that before. Uh, so so he's an excellent resource for that. We we talk about calls, the calls that we make, putting the O-rings on them, stuff that we've tried that worked, stuff that didn't work. Um, but, man, I'm I'm kind of like him in this sense. Whenever I do get to work and we're both over there working at the same time, we're like quiet, man. We're I'm working on my lathe. He's working on his lathe, and we're we're focused on what we're doing. You know, after we get done, we'll kind of do a little show and tell. But um, it's kind of quiet over there, actually. We'll, we'll play a little Bob Seger or something in the background. But um, we're when we're working, we're focused. Man, that's actually even more awesome. Because I mean, what it sounds like is. One, what's really cool about it, man, is it, like you're just hanging out with your dad, right? Like you're mm-hmm. a grown man who's hanging out with his dad, uh, which, you know, that's not something I did very much of. Like my dad was real. I mean, he used to like straight up tell you, he's like, I'm not your friend. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like I'm your dad. I'm not your friend. Uh, but also like, dude, that is that's really one of the indications of a strong relationship between anybody when you can just spend time around each other and not fill up the silence Mm -hmm. right and just be comfortable enough to be yourselves i think that's what struck me about when i met you and your dad down there is that uh you know you're 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 like we said man your dad seems like just like a a tough blue collar guy right but he obviously allowed you to be who you are right like he didn't feel a need to browbeat you for sure and it just allowed you to be who you were naturally inclined to be and then still even if in some ways it's very different than him that he's you know he he likes what it produced enough that he wants to spend his free time just hanging out in silence yeah with you man that's i mean that's a that's high praise, man. Like we're all all sons want their father's approval, right? Mm-hmm. And that's especially from like a more traditional kind of fellow man. That's like high praise, right? Yeah, I always kind of felt like Bobby Hill growing up. <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. He just I don't know what to do. 
And, you know, you, my dad doesn't hang out, okay? Yeah. Like, you hunt with him or you work with him, but there's no, like, just shooting the shit. Yeah, we're, we're not drinking iced tea out here, man. No, definitely not. So, when I moved back from Little Rock, um, I moved back home, which we're not all living on top of one another. When my grandmother was still alive, we, uh, we built an apartment onto our existing house for her. And so when I moved back, that kind of became my part of the house, right? So you go in the foyer, you can go right, you can go in my parents' house, you can go left, you can go in my house. And uh, that uh, the calls kind of brought me and dad together because we, we never did really hang out much. You know, when I was a kid, we'd go on vacation, we'd hang out a little bit then, um, we'd eat dinner together, stuff like that, but we never really had anything that me and him could both do. And that was another reason why I kind of got into duck hunting. I was like, this is something me and dad could do. You know, we could kind of hang out, get to know each other a little bit better now that I'm an adult. And and then the call thing came along. So now, I mean, you know, me and dad are good buddies nowadays. Whereas before, I don't know, he never was absent, you know. But um, we just didn't have that relationship, I guess, growing up. He was um, he was the parent that took care of business, if you catch my drift. Sure, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, if I messed up at school, like, like damn, I'm going to get an ass whooping, you know. Uh, he was the disciplinarian growing up. Yeah, man, those, those old school – like, dude, my kids, I've – I don't spank my kids or do any of that stuff, and I – pretty much knew i wasn't going to mm -hmm. my wife confirmed that for me before we had kids yeah uh but yeah man i used to my dad used to have this thing called uh it was a it was a wooden paint stir right like not, it wasn't that balsa wood i don't know it was just cut out of white pine or something right mm -hmm. but it feels like there was more heft to it than there are these days and he wrote dr do better on it <laughs> and it was sat on top of the buffet uh Maybe, I don't know if it's a buffet. Just like a china cabinet in our house, right? And dude, man, he'd reach up there and get Dr. Do Better. And I just, even the saying <laughs> Dr. Do Better freaks me out now. And I remember one time he, uh, it uh, it broke, right? Mm -hmm. He was giving me some, some wallops, man, and that thing broke. And dude, I remember this giddiness, this just rush of relief I felt. I was like, dude. This man's, uh, the, this tool's reign of terror is over. <laughs> Dude, he went and got another paint stir and wrote Dr. Do Better on it, and it was like the sky fell out. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there could only be one Dr. Do Better. Dr. Do Better. But, yeah, man, so your dad was, you know, just kind of a traditional hard-ass dad. Yeah. And then, and that's kind of what happened with my pops, too, man, is, uh, now, it didn't really happen with my dad until he had, lost all his piss and vinegar, mm -hmm. you know? And he was like, he was like living with me and like I was having help take care of him. Mm -hmm. And then he was, then he was, uh, I felt like I kind of got to know him then. Uh, this is super cool that you get to do it now. And then you take these things that you make in silence, listening to night moves mm -hmm. in your, uh, in your grandfather's <laughs> <laughs> shop and you guys go and hunt together, right? Yeah. Don't you, do you do most of your hunting with him? Um, a lot of it. Um, I've got my, my group of buddies, you know, maintenance department. We hunt a little bit. We hunt with dad. We all hunt together. Um, because actually one of the guys in the maintenance, uh, he kind of apprenticed under my dad. 
and my other buddy Zach Snow, he worked with my dad. So I mean, we we all know each other, you know, really well, and uh, we jive together pretty well. But I don't know. Uh, we did. We used to in the past. Last season, we we ended up not going that much because we didn't have many ducks. It was rough we last at. year. Yeah, man. Man, I, I think I killed more geese on accident than I killed ducks on purpose last year. Well, just like specs you take a poke at when they're flying by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think lots of people have been doing that. Um, yeah, that's another conversation. There's some dudes I want to talk to on uh, a podcast coming up talking about duck season and what's happening and like some changes. Because especially when you start getting into people that have been hunting the same place, the same area for 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. and they can really explain how stuff has changed. I feel like we kind of move in these 10-year cycles. But anyway, that's more on that to come later. Uh, man, I could keep talking to you about some other stuff. I, you know what? I always do this, man. I want, we'll spend a few minutes on this. Okay. And then we'll, then we'll plug your business, and then we'll, we'll move on. But you're a Star Wars guy, right? We have discussed, and I don't know how public I've been about this on the podcast, but I'm a Star Trek guy, right? Okay. Specifically. I get down with the Trek, too. Okay. Next Generation and uh, Deep Space Nine, I think, are the two pinnacles. I, you know, I'm not that concerned with the other stuff. The new stuff, whatever. I'm Next Gen fan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Picard, Worf, all that stuff, right? But. I feel like Star Trek and Star Wars are very different, right? Star Wars, to me, is much more uh, fantasy-based and kind of allegorical. Mm -hmm. And Star Trek is, well, still allegorical. I'm saying allegorical in like kind of a classic uh, Greek tragedy-based way, Mm -hmm. right? And Star Trek, I think, is really more of a modern-day political commentary, right? So why do you think that you lean towards Star Wars as opposed to Star Trek? Because people get their kind of lane. Mm-hmm. And even if, I mean, like, like I've watched all the original Star Treks and, or Star Wars and all that, but I don't revisit them. Yeah. You know, I've been watching Star Trek The Next Generation for 30 years at this point, mm-hmm. just over and over and over again. So why did you go to Star Wars as opposed to Star Trek primarily? Man, uh, let's see. You remember the uh, the big sheets of stamps that you that they used to send back in the day, and it was a bunch of different movies. Did you ever get one of those? Like mm. back in like the early '90s, like little postage stamps almost. And if you bought five, you got like three for free. You know, something I guess like no. That. I guess I'm unfamiliar. Okay, I talked my parents into doing it one time. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna get all these movies because obviously I was a country kid. I didn't have any friends out in the country, so like. Movies oh, and wait video a games. second. You mean like when you could order like five movies or like five CDs and then you like that stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was looking You'd get for, it on credit or something and they'd yeah, send them all to Yeah. That was it. So, uh, you know, I ordered a couple of Disney movies, stuff like that. And I ordered the first Star Wars movie and I asked my mom about it. I said, you know, what's Star Wars? She said, ah, it's like it's some space stuff. Like, I don't think you'll like it. Man, I must have watched A New Hope 50 times before I ever saw Empire and Jedi. And it was just, dude, it was so fantastical. Like, the different planets, uh, they weren't worried about, oh, well, we'll just land on this planet. Let's not worry about the air or anything. It'll be fine. Let's just, let's go have an adventure, you know? I guess it's more, it was a little bit more fast-paced than Trek was. And I actually started watching Trek when I was, um, 
I don't know, probably around the same age. This was before the internet. I didn't know Trek was as big a deal as it was. I thought it was just some like random sci-fi show. And then the internet came out and I started putting everything together. Man, you were really kind of isolated out there growing up. Dude, I was, I really was. Um, Read a lot, watched a lot of movies, played a lot of video games. And like I said, you know, I loved school because when I went to school, I got to play with other kids, right? But um, I don't know, man. The Star Wars always just kind of brought me in. There's there's so much variation in the storytelling. You can tell a very simple story. You can tell a huge, like, galaxy-wide story. Um, there's so many different characters, the alien species. And, I mean, I think the the – the visuals is probably one of the things that like kind of hooked me in like lightsaber, like um, a big pit with like tentacles and teeth coming out of it in the middle of the desert. Just, just kind of burnt into my psyche, I guess, you know, and Star Trek's a little bit slower paced, you know, a little bit more, I guess like philosophical, political, um, I don't know, man. I, I I tend to um I tend to gravitate in media, media wise, towards things that could never happen, like in a million years. You know, the the storytelling elements are there. You know, you connect with those on a human level, but as far as like setting and characters and things like that, the more fantastic, the more I'm gonna like it. Which is kind of the same with duck calls, man. Like I'll be at a show. And you just see this like really weird looking duck call, like this strange, odd, like nobody's really buying it. Like that's the kind of stuff I kind of gravitate towards the, I don't know, man, the, the crazy and insane. Uh, I kind of like that, which is weird because I'm a really reserved guy, but I don't know, man. I I, I like all the weird stuff. Kind of makes sense, man. I mean, you know, you think about like, cultures where being reserved and controlled is really important and then you you know that's where like some real wild weird stuff comes out right like mm-hmm. japan uh i mean that would, I would you know i was about to go into i was gonna say like germany but you know maybe it's that juxtaposition like with germany like the engineering mechanical regulated thing and then you know like are you familiar with like berlin and the 20s yeah. Like, yeah. it was wild, dude. For sure. Like, anything went back then, right? <laughs> uh, and I wonder if it is that, like, strange juxtaposition about, like... Metropolis came out of yeah Germany in the 20s. Craft, you know, like, craft work was inspired by that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we could get real, we could get real uh, nerdy. I mean, yeah, you talk about Metropolis, craft work, uh, AI stuff. Like, it, yeah, it, it goes all the way down, Uh this, but yeah, you know, oh, dude, I didn't even think about that. It's like if you think about the way craft work sounds, uh-huh. right? That robot voice, the mechanization, right? Like that is something fantastical that comes out of something incredibly predictable. Yeah. Which is like, you know, math and circuitry and robotics and all that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, man. Yeah, we should, uh, we'll do another podcast sometime and we'll, we'll let our freak flags fly man <laughs> we'll get super nerdy but yeah no i mean your explanation of why star wars uh speaks to you i think that's you know the work that you're producing now is illustrative of that mm-hmm. like and when you described your perception of star trek like i was like yeah that makes sense that i would be more into that mm-hmm. you know i'm I, i'm i'm 
even to a fault sometimes I feel like I'm uh I'm rooted in the practical and pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Uh Man, I got some self-analysis to do now, Cloud. Takes uh, all kinds to make the world go around. Hey, I tell you what, man. Uh, well, uh, big duck energy, which I'm embarrassed to say, it took me like a year to realize that was a double entendre. <laughs> when I first saw it, I told you I was like, this guy must be a, like a lineman or something, man. Uh, but that's not what you're referencing, is it, Cloud? It is not. Yeah, but uh, clever name, cool logo. You're doing some like neat side. Uh, Side products, like some throwbacks to these, uh, these like posters from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, these like, uh, what, what was it? It was posters promoting what originally the duck call competitions. I have no idea. I think it so. Just like says Stuttgart. Stuttgart. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, man, you just got like some fun, quirky stuff on your new custom calls you're doing. You're including like a hand turned hat pin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, you've got, so you've got kind of shop stuff that you produce mm-hmm. and folks can buy that if they want something where they can pick the wood and the color scheme and uh you know the accoutrement for it mm-hmm. uh, they can get that from your custom shop yep uh and so how do how would folks see your work and i mean because a lot of this stuff without the visual reference i think it's still gonna be hard for people to to really wrap their heads around these shapes that we're describing mm-hmm. but i'd love for folks to look you up and look at the work you're doing and uh, if interested, man, get a hold of one of these calls. I've got one at home. I've got a pot belly that we did some swapping for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to have to get a donut. I mean, honestly, I'd like to get one of each of these. So uh, we'll work that out later on. But, yeah, how could how could Larry, Moe, and Curly get a hold of a, uh, a duck call for me? Well, I'm, I'm primarily on Instagram and Facebook, Big Duck Energy Arco, A-R-C-O. Uh, you can reach out to me on Facebook Messenger, Instagram, and uh, man, get a call from there. Whether you want a custom call or want to buy something that I already have on hand, I'll, I'll shoot you pictures and let you know what blanks I have, what I can build for you. I'm actually running a little bit low on the African Blackwood. Um, the inch and a half blocks are out of stock for a while. But um, but yeah, I've, I've got a pretty good variety that you can choose from and... I want both of us to be happy with it before I, before it goes out of the shop. And if it's not up to my standards, I'll start over. I will make a different one. This one, actually, it was all turned, and I noticed that there were some sand lines on the top of it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I said, that that's not going to work. I had to put it back on the lathe and sand it back down before I, before I finished that call up because I just – you might not notice it, but I noticed it, and I wasn't going to let it out. That's old school customer service, much like you could have found at Cloud's Grocery in 1954 or something, right? Definitely. There you go. All right. Well, uh, hey, dude, thanks for coming up here to the lodge and hanging out for a little while in the conversation. For sure. And uh, folks, go check out Big Duck Energy. Cloud Jacobs, thank you so much, and thank you for listening. Until next time. Oh, everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast all the way through. As always, it's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. 
You can find me at blackduckrevival.com. You'll find uh, articles I've written. You'll find recipes there. You will find uh, a link if you go to the experiences tab. You'll be able to book your hunt. I've got like three or four spots left on the uh, speckle belly goose hunt that's at the end of December, rolling over to the 1st of January. Uh, so if you're interested in coming on a hunt, please go to that website. You can send a request in and reserve your spot now for one of those last few spots for our immersive culinary hunt experiences. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram. Admittedly, as of late, I have not been super active on there. Uh, sometimes you just got to take a break, but we're gearing back up, doing more stuff on that. So follow me on Instagram. Uh, feel free to help the podcast out too by telling a friend, an acquaintance, an enemy, anybody. Tell them about the podcast. Tell them that we've got really fascinating people uh, that we're having great conversations with. And there's always something cool to learn about here on the Black Duck Revival podcast. Uh, if you haven't done so, please take a minute leave a review either on spotify or apple podcast a five-star review is always helpful and a written review helps even more it helps with the algorithm and lets people know about this podcast so thank you so much for listening we will see you next time until then <laughs>